everybody ever seen. Given the chance, the opportunity, and the experience, and the lessons from people, I could be the best. But right now, I don't even wish to be the best. I just want to be one of them. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Transition Podcast. It's your girl, Apollo. I know, I know. It's been a long time. Um, I'm not sure what number episode this is, but we getting there. And I'm so excited to share this topic with you. Due to the episode being so long, I am not going to do a Black-owned spotlight. I just want to get straight into the meat of this episode to keep y'all's attention. Um, I'm going to share also why I've been on a hiatus. I think that is only just because I've just been going through it with life and like this new year and adulting and like just trying to get my life together, trying to, you know, follow my passions, follow my hopes and dreams and trying things out. A lot of things have not been working. A lot of things have, um, but overall life has been kicking my butt. I'm a very positive person. However, uh, like I said, this ain't easy. I've taken on a job that I thought I would love. I started this new year with a job that I thought I would love. And I feel like I've talked about this maybe in the last episode. I'm not sure, but I do not like the job. The job is too demanding for little pay. Um, the pay was an increase from my last position. Hence why I quit my last two jobs, but it's not, the pay isn't enough to, the pay, the pay is, how do I say this? They just want me to go over and beyond my position and work like very, very long days on a base salary with no other compensation. And they didn't fully explain that to me that I would be working like hours and hours and hours, um, driving like two to three hours away and like, it's just not worth it, you know? And like, I put in so many job apps, I'm looking for a new job because like one thing for sure, my, my main goal right now is to follow my dreams. And one of those dreams is going back to school for a second bachelor's. And I cannot achieve that in this current position. Therefore it has to go. There's no inner ifs or but it has to go. And I'm not going to stretch myself then either. Um, but with that said, I let go of a job that I loved. And I realized that I loved it after I left. I was bartending, loved bartending. Did not like, you know, dealing with people, not gonna lie, love bartending. Just mixing drinks is really fun for me. I'll actually probably make me a margarita after this. <laughs> but um, with all that said, I'm just going through the motions, um, just trying to find my space in the world. And I'm getting back into my podcast stuff because this is something that really makes me happy to talk about these issues and, you know, hearing people slide up and be like, Hey girl, that, Hey, I'm going through that too. Hold on. Wait, wait. And I love that. So definitely I'm getting back into it. Like, don't think I'm, I've just stopped because I haven't, but I'm just trying to figure out life. And that's one thing too, with this new job, I have no time for myself. Not only will I, would I not have time for school, I have no time for myself. I had no time for my podcast. And that's a big no, that's a big no, because at the end of the day, like I have to make time for me, you know, you know what? I'm talking a lot. Let's get into the episode because this episode is going to be a long girl. So this week's episode is on generational trauma. I'm not going to do like a really long intro like I usually do um, because me and my lovely panel went ham on this topic. I hope this conversation helps you all start future conversations with on your own circle. Um, this episode was recorded last year. Um, it's taken me so long 
uh, to put it out, as I said before, because I've been working, you know, I've been starting a new job, which I'm about to quit. Um, <laughs> and life's just been beating me to the ground, but I'm standing up 10 toes tall, you know, I'm ready to take the world by storm. Um, but yeah, without further ado, please enjoy this week's episode entitled Generational Traumas. Hi, ladies. Um, Welcome to the Transition Podcast. Thank you all so much for joining me um, with such a challenging topic that we're going to get through together. Um, So can everyone go around and introduce yourselves? You can go in any particular order you may please. I'm Matea. I'm Morgan. (laughs) And I'm Jessica. (laughs) I tell you, thank you ladies so much. You all look beautiful. I know you all cannot see them, but they look amazing as they do. Um, so what is generational trauma? Um, generational trauma is a traumatic event that began decades prior to the current generation. And it has impacted the way that individuals understand, cope with, and heal from trauma. Um, while doing my research, I've also understood that it can also be known as transgenerational trauma. We'll get into that later. However, I want to start off with my first question. So ladies, um, my first question is, how would you personally define generational trauma? Using one word, I have my word, um, but y'all can go first, somebody can go first, I can go first, however you want to do it. Um, one way that, uh, one word using um, to describe gener- generational trauma, I would say is curse. Um, and I say this because a curse is something that is passed along to an individual that will later lead them in the, down the line, be with them from down the line until they either contact the source or find a way to get rid of that curse. Um, and with that, I would just say until you go back to the source or until you do some personal digging into finding out why you have this curse upon you or why is it still lingering upon in your life just in general you will not find healing um because curses are just not a good thing not all the time um and that would be a way that i would describe generational trauma i love the way you put that only because i'm i'm looking at morgan and i'm just like um lovecraft Lovecraft Country because like me and Morgan we would sit down we watch that every Sunday and one thing for sure they had to go back in time to stop something from happening to stop future trauma to stop future curses so I think that is a lovely word to use um I guess I can go um my one word to describe generational trauma would be survival um and I say that because it isn't like our ancestors wanted to be traumatized it isn't like they wanted to experience things that made them you know what I'm saying have these coping mechanisms but they took with what they had and tried to like get passed down lessons and sometimes those lessons were good sometimes they weren't bad and I feel like as generation goes these lessons are keep being taught but the world constantly changes And so the lessons that were being taught, for them, it helped them. For them, it was a way to cope. For them, it helped them at that point in time. And during whatever they was going through, it helped them. 
But for us who are no longer maybe experiencing that same type of problem, or even if the problem has the same root, it's in a different type of way, we've taken these lessons in and some of them are doing more harm than good. And so as like the current generation, we're try- we're kind of p- trying to piece together why we do the things that we do or why our parents taught us things or whether they taught us or even if it's just the lesson in the content in general, but we're just basically just getting all these lessons from our ancestors. And sometimes we just need to let them go and let them be the lessons that they had to endure at the time period that they had. But for them, it was just survival. For them, it was what they needed to get through this world the best way they know how. And now that the world is changing and there's some some progress, it's like some of these lessons need to be gone. So yeah. I love that definition only because I've, I've talked about this with somebody, and it was probably you. And I was talking about how, <laughs> I was talking about how like, there are certain things that work for certain generations and there are a lot of things that does not work now. And we need to realize what is not, what like what is no longer working for us. Cause it's a lot of older teachings. It's a lot of like older practices that we're still practicing. Some that most that are good, but it's a lot that are bad. And like, how do we shift that in order to make them good or just cancel out those practices altogether? And it's so hard to do because it's just like, no, like my grandma passes down to me. No, my mom passes down to me. No, we've been doing this for generations. And it's just like, but that doesn't mean that it is a good practice. That doesn't mean it's, you know, it's, it's, it's survival. It was survival for them. It is no longer survival for us yet. We need to discontinue this practice. Um, I would say, I would use, the word I would use to define um, generational trauma would have to be intimidating because um, it challenges you not only to look at your loved ones and the, you know, the people that you've grown up around and the people that you, you know, have, have these certain perceptions about. It challenges you to look at those people in a different light. And it also gives your whole entire family dynamic. Of, it makes you look at that in a different light as well. And then it challenges you to look at yourself in a different way because, now that you know what traumas and what triggers um, have been passed down, you're able to connect that with yourself and your everyday life and, you know, how you operate um, in relationships, platonic or intimate, and just, you know, how you maneuver through everyday life. So I would definitely say it's intimidating. Completely agree. I'll like honestly, yes, intimidating. I was gonna scream. That's why I put myself on mute. <laughs> but intimidating is definitely the word because like I see us moving from our generational traumas. I see that us moving past these things as intimidating because we are the first to do it. You know, a lot of us are first generation this, first generation that, and like moving from that and you know, getting over these traumas and like talking to our elders, talking to our parents about like, hey we're no longer going to practice this. We're no longer going to do this. Like, this is all intimidating. Like, these talks are intimidating. They're hard. Right. So I would, yes, you hit the nail on the head. Um, so one word that I would use to describe generational trauma is destructive. Definitely destructive. Um, destructive for the household. Destructive for people around it. Destructive for uh, relationships that come from you. Um, because there are so many things that I carry or I once carried on 
to like relationships with my friends, relationships to other family members, relationships to my line sisters. There are so many things that I've carried to them that was traumas that I had. And, you know, growing and learning and developing and being able to address myself and be like, hey, that wasn't right. Or, hey, you should no longer do that. Hey, that is self-destructive. Hey, you're, you're carrying on your traumas to someone else like having these conversations within myself, speaking to my higher self, like that is all necessary in getting over generational trauma. So going on to the next question, I'm gonna give you an example of transgenerational trauma or just generational trauma as we know it. So as a scenario, it says, let's look at an example of a mother who was badly sexually abused and has not sought support to deal with her trauma. She suffers of hypervigilance, anxiety, low self-esteem, repressed anger, inconsistent moods, depression, damaged sense of self slash lack of identity, paranoia, and even ongoing health issues where she is always tired and has colds or flu, all symptoms of PTSD. So from that example, do you feel as if trauma impacts your physical relationships with other people? Yes, a hundred percent. And I would say, I, I say yes, because a lot of what we deal with internally, especially when it comes to your emotions, your mental capacity, everything of that nature is going to bleed out into your physical life. So in that example, um, her simply being sexually abused is going to affect her physical relationships with men or women or anything of that nature, because you feel so vulnerable and the emotions that you carry from that type of trauma is going to affect how you communicate with other people. And especially also in sexual relationships, because that transfer of energy is just so high and you don't, and it's just, when you experience something traumatic like that, it's hard for you to kind of open those gates and trust people and people look at you as so standoffish or you're this or that. But when you are going through something like that, you kind of close yourself in because that's your only way to protect yourself is by only allowing what you feel as a safe haven is a safe haven from others in order for you to open up to them and be more comfortable with yourself and with what you're going through. So that I definitely a hundred percent, like that is just no joke. Um, it, it, you see it every day. Uh, you could be having a bad day and I may look like I'm, I'm just a bitch. I mean, I may look like I'm just not having a good time and everything like that. And that's going to affect my relationships because it's something that is internally disturbing me. And I'm not going to let other people on the outside come in or come in influence what I got going on because that's my way of protecting myself is coming off like, ah, I'm not, I'm not messing with y'all. Like, nope. That's how you filter those things out that have happened. I a hundred percent agree with Jessica. Like our experiences in life shape who we are. Um, you can't like, there's no way around it. What I experienced in my childhood or not even in my childhood, but just in whatever period of time in my life, shape who I am and the decisions I make. If I'm constantly being hurt by certain people, it may even just be specifically men, it may be specifically women, 
the next relationship or the next person I meet who fits that criteria, I'm not going to be so open. You know, like if I'm being constantly hurt by somebody, constantly hurt by the male species, when I come into contact with the male species, my guard is always going to be up. It's a coping mechanism. We are meant to evolve. We don't want our feelings hurt. We you, we put up walls for protection, boundaries. And so if you experience trauma in some form, and especially if you don't, you know, find ways to cope with it in a positive and healthy way, it's definitely going to affect any relationship you have. Like it's, it's, it's inevitable, like regardless of who or what or when or how, that is that's stuck that's stuck into your brain that's stuck into your memory and so no one wants to repeat getting hurt and so going into life and going on into the next stages of your life you're always going to have that thought in the back of your head I don't want to get hurt I don't want this to happen I don't want to experience this again so what's the best way for me not to do that I have to make certain decisions certain choices I mean I want to be in a relationship with a man for five years because I was hurt in my past relationship like it's small things like that that we don't realize is somewhat trauma or impacts our physical relationships, but that's just a small piece of, oh, I don't, I'm gonna take a break from dating because I don't wanna get hurt again. That's trauma. Like that, those are things that affect us on a regular basis. And I feel like if more people were understanding or acknowledge that they've been hurt and that's a form of trauma, and that every time you experience trauma, you have to find a positive and healthy way to cope with it, then I think. A lot of people will be better off mentally and emotionally, and it may not have so much of an impact on our relationships in the future or currently because of that hurt. But until people really acknowledge that or really understand that, like, trauma ingrains into your body mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, like, that's how we base our decisions off of, like, what we don't want to experience and what we do want to experience. And until people understand that and the smallest thing can affect you, then I think we're just going to continue this cycle of generational trauma, teaching it to our children, teaching it to our nieces, and our nephews. And because like I said before, it's a survival method. You're trying to protect yourself. And so you, in, you take these lessons that you, that you've learned from other people or you've created within yourself and teach it to people who may not even experience the same trauma that you will. Like who's to say my niece and my nephew or my possibly children will experience the same type of hurt that I experienced, but I've taught them that these people aren't trustworthy or these people aren't worth it, or you shouldn't show too much emotion, just small lessons like that, that I've had to learn in my life and teach it to my children who may not even experience the same trauma I have. And so that's where generational, the generational piece come in because I've, I've experienced this type of pain and this type of hurt. And now I don't want my children to experience it. And I'm thinking it's the best for them. And I'm thinking that this is the best way to help them once I'm gone. But in reality, it's sometimes always not as good as we think it is. So, yeah. Um, I definitely agree with the other two um, ladies. You guys made some great points. Um, Trauma definitely does impact your physical relationships because it's like baggage. So until you come to terms with it, until you acknowledge it, you know, you're going to carry that baggage with you throughout life, everywhere you go, within with um, every relationship, um, you're going to carry that with you. So for example, like, Communication is a is a challenge for me due to um, some of the trauma that I've experienced and sometimes within my platonic and intimate relationships, 
um, communication is a big problem because sometimes I don't always speak up. Um, sometimes it's hard for me to find my voice. Um, in certain situations where it requires me to. So, you know, a lot of the times I end up holding my tongue or just repressing how I feel just for the sake of keeping the peace, not knowing that me thinking I'm keeping the peace is causing more chaos because I'm steadily internalizing what I, you know, feel some type of way about. So, um, Trauma definitely impacts physical relationships in more ways than a lot of people will think. And until you, you know, acknowledge and until you come to terms with it, it's going to, it's going to be a continuous cycle of destruction in a lot of areas in your life. So. My, my God, <laughs> I was from this room. <laughs> okay. Because like you hit like a very valid point. When like when I would when I would think of different traumas, I would always think of physical traumas. Mm-hmm. When physically do you know what I'm saying? And like communication did not come up. I don't know why, but like communication is a big thing when it comes to trauma. Because if you think about it, in black households, we are all black women out here. Hey, mm-hmm. yep, black households, we are told to mm, shut up. I'm talking to you. Mm-hmm. I cannot talk. Don't talk back you know etc etc and because you you know what i'm saying especially as black little girls we weren't given a space to speak up in the household without seeming seeming disrespectful or seeming too grown or seeming you know what i'm saying like all these negative attributes they were to portray on us when we were really just trying to speak up for ourselves and now that we are grown in intimate relationships and in relationships with you know other platonic relationships whatever and we don't know how to speak up we don't know how to have these tough conversations we don't know how to do that because of how we were treated when we were younger like the whole point of this podcast the transition is when you go back over your life and you see how much things affected you when you were so young and the traits that you carry now into the future Mm-hmm. and to to portray like how you are so I love that you brought up communication and I could talk about that for myself but Jessica Morgan do y'all have anything to say on that um I mean I mean I basically agree like like you said I didn't think about the communication piece and that's such a big aspect especially when I think that black the black people like in general we all deal with kind of sometimes the same type of generational trauma because of racism because of slavery because of Jim Crow and so a lot of the same lessons that were instilled in all of us as black women is is a is a kind of a generalized feeling and so like you said before like growing up in a household in a black household as a black woman it's like you don't have that same type of communication that you would want like children in the black household are kind of just to be seen and not heard unless they're called upon. And so now that I'm older, I've had to literally like acknowledge like Morgan, you need to start speaking up for yourself. Like what she said earlier, like I just kept quiet to keep the peace. And I realized I used to do that all the time when I was younger. Like if I was upset about something, I would just walk away and go in my room and just not talk to nobody. And so now that I know that about myself, I have to like consciously stay aware of that decision I'm making and do the opposite. 
Like I have to unlearn these lessons, unlearn these these trauma, this trauma and these curses that I've been, you know what I'm saying, that has been brought to me. And it's like, it's it's such a big piece of my life. And it's something you would think it's something so minuscule, but just saying how you feel can be a it could be difficult for black women. And especially let's talk about in the in the professional world, black women are not really allowed to speak up without repercussions. In the corporate in the corporate world, whatever type of realm you're talking about, black women in general are to be seen and not heard. And that starts in our households, in our childhood ages. And it's like black women now are trying to reverse that and not even care, not even try to pay the respectability politic BS that we've been taught. And so it's now like it's sad that the age of 22, 23 years old, we have to actually learn how to communicate and speak up for how we feel without it being seen as. And you, I don't, at this point, I don't even care if it's seen as disrespectful. I said what I said. But younger me would be so terrified to say anything. Younger me wouldn't have not said anything. I just would have just let it happen. But I have to, and it's a daily battle to force yourself to speak up when you feel unheard, unlistened to, unappreciated. And it's just like, those are just things that I feel like as Black women, we kind of deal with. I wouldn't say every Black woman, but in general, that's a, that's a kind of a generational curse within the black community, specifically with black women, not being able to speak up without having, being seen as an angry black woman or being stereotyped as loud, ratchet, ghetto, never happy. Like, it's just a whole lot that I can go into when it comes to race relations. But yeah, I just had to say that part. Uh, did anybody else have anything to say on that? Um, I would just say uh, the, the, the way that we all relate in this topic just makes it so much bigger as to how so many things are rooted to the household yet again and how you were raised. Um, because a lot of the generational trauma that we deal with really does spill into every aspect of our lives and physical relationships. And it does affect us in a way and it does create this stereotypical view with the black community simply because we were raised to view it this way. We were raised to be quiet. We were raised to not speak up for ourselves. And that's where a lot of trauma comes about. And it's, I don't know where it stems from to where children were not heard in the house or what you would present to your parents or your family about something that, something that has happened to you or something that you're feeling was just brushed away. But I've been so happy that our generation especially has taken a stand on, I'm not about to do this to my kids. I'm not about to let, because this has affected my relationships. This has affected how I make friends, how I, professional setting, my romantic relationships. Like, I'm so glad that we just really make a stand on this because for the rest of your life, you're going to have these relationships with other people. and it's. It's so, so important to know how to heal within yourself and heal certain aspects of your childhood, especially, and talk about these things and speak up for yourself as far as communication is just number one, because it's, it's just, it's just a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Like Morgan said, this can go on a whole 90 minute little spill, but the way that we are acknowledging this and because we've been through it ourselves in our own personal lives, 
is just so important to talk about because when your kids grow up and they start making relationships with people or start having friendships with other people, you really got to talk to them. Like, you know, you want to speak out for yourself because you don't ever want to cause that drift to where your child can't talk to you about these traumas that they have gone through. Cause that's the reason why we're going through this generational trauma is because we can speak up about it. We can talk to our parents about it. We couldn't talk to our aunties, uncles. We couldn't talk to people about it. But now that it's opening a floodgate of this happened to me when I was a kid. You know what I'm saying? Now people are like, you know what? I'm so sorry that I, that I did. That was traumatic for you. I'm so like, there's just now starting to realize that this is a problem in our community and it's just a problem in general. So um, that's my think piece on that one. Honestly, yes, 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 yes. Like, I feel like since we're tr- uh, we're starting to realize that it is a problem and more people are talking about it. I said this on another show, but I felt like millennials opened the door and Gen Z is just like running through that door and just like making things happen. But like, and I'm not saying that millennials aren't doing nothing because they definitely are. But, you know, younger people in their 18s, you know, like late teens, early 20s, like they really putting in this work. They really out here, you know what I'm saying, trying to abolish all of these traumas, all of these, you know, functions in their household that ain't right. But like you said, a lot of things and totally agree with everyone everybody said, a lot of things stem from the household. A lot of things, who you are stems from your household. And that's why, like you um. I love how you pointed out how we don't want our kids to not come to us with these things. And I literally thought the other day and I was just like, do I, am I ready to become a parent? Like, do I want to become a parent? Because, because becoming a parent, like, I just feel like it's so lax now. Like, it's just like, oh, I'm going to be a mother. I'm going to be a father. Like, it's just so lax. Like people are just like, I'm just going to bring life into the world. But it's just like, no, you need to sit down and heal before you ever decide to like bring somebody else in this world because there takes so much because I look at how I'm not gonna say messed up I am but I look at how I am and I'm just like I wouldn't want a, a little black girl to go through what I'm going through I wouldn't and like that's why I never planned to the jokes oh who gonna have a baby da, 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 da. it's not funny no more it's not funny when you grow and you know what I'm saying you're you're fully capable of raising somebody you're fully capable of you know taking care of somebody but mentally physically emotionally spiritually like it's just there's a disconnect right now so when you said that about the the children like it's just like going back to my childhood experience I wouldn't want to bring a child in that that wouldn't be fair and I say that a lot like a lot of people have kids in relationships and it's not fair to the kids that's why when I see videos of like domestic abuse which what I went through a lot when I was younger and Matea could speak to it I went through that a lot when I was younger and looking at things like that and seeing people have kids like that football player how he um threw the girl into a tv and they're gonna come back later and say oh she planned it it's it's little things like that. It's little things like that. And he, and the kid was right there. The kid probably will never remember that because, you know, still a, a toddler, like a young baby. I'm not sure about the kids. Years, baby. I don't have kids. But <laughs> you know what I mean? But like things like that, like you, you look at you look at situations like that and you're just like, yo, like I'm not ready. Not ready. But my <laughs> I said all that today. Say, let me actually answer the question. 
with all that said, do I feel as if trauma impacts my physical relationships? So what a lot of people don't know about me is I've never been in an intimate relationship with anybody. And that has played also a big role in who I am today. But I think a big reason of this is because I've never seen an ideal relationship ever, ever in my life. I've never seen a happy marriage. I've never seen, you know, true love between a man and woman for real. And that has played a lot in my self-esteem. Yes, there there is a lot of reasons why I haven't been in a relationship, but this is one of them. And I had to realize that. But I've I've never seen a happy marriage. I've never seen a happy relationship. I've only seen, and this is trauma within my family, a great example. I've seen a lot of my aunties, um, my mom go after men strictly for money. Yeah. Or go after men because they just want financial stability. Or go after men because that's what their mama told them to do. I'll never forget, my mom told me that my grandma told her to like, you need to just go get a man and sit down. Like that type of thinking. And like, yes, my mom broke out of it. She's never healed from it. She broke out of that line of thinking, yes, but she's never healed from that. Um, And just seeing things like that. So like that, that's one thing that deeply affects my physical relationships. I'm not even, at this point, I don't even think that I am mature enough to like, like psychologically mature enough to be in a relationship because I've I've never had like my trials and tribulations with me. And I look at people, I, I saw this post the other day and it was like, oh, you know, I went through my dummy phase in high school. In, uh, in college. So now I know what to look for. I've, I've never even been through that because I've been so scared to even let a man get into an inch of my peace. I've been so scared of that because, hey, hmm. I've been so scared of that because like I've seen it not work out. I've seen it in very badly. I've been in situations where it ended so badly that I'm not even going to speak about. But I've been in those situations and I'm just like, I don't want no parts. I don't want to be in that. And like, that's why I feel like when people around me get into relationships, I seem a little overprotective. I might seem a little overbearing. I'd be like, girl. And it's because of how I grew up, because I've seen it in so badly. I've seen death come upon it. Like I've seen like things like this, just people snap and it's not pretty. And I realized like that deeply affects my physical relationships because now I don't even know what a happy relationship for, for real looks like. I don't know what it's like to go through trials and tribulations because when I see trials and tribulations now in relationship, I just say leave because I know how bad it can get. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just like, do I even want to, you know, break my peace to potentially be in something like that? Like, is it worth it? You know, so that that is my and I can go on and on about that. But I think divorce, abuse, physical and verbal and relationships. And men and relationships in general deeply play a role in how I view people in my physical life, in my physical relationships. Does anybody have anything to say? Yeah, I just, Amanda, you was going nuts. You saw me over here snapping like, oh my gosh, Amanda. But um, (laughs) what you said about how like your older, like maternal generations have told like your grandmother, your mother, 
to find a man. And I feel like we talked about this recently, but literally like in my family, they still, my grandma literally just told me like a couple of weeks ago, you need to get you a man. And I literally told her, I said, I don't need a man. Hello. I, don't, I don't, at this point in my life, I don't even want one. Yeah. But I had to tell her like, I don't need that. And like, and this also plays into why I say generational trauma, generational curses are survival. Because in her day, she needed a man. Like te- she literally needed a man. And we talked about this before, how you couldn't have your own bank account. You couldn't have women's rights were so minuscule when my grandmother was growing up in the 40s. Like she was born in 1943. She was she was alive doing Jim Crow. She was alive doing segregation. She was alive for all of this. And it was nearly impossible for a woman, specifically a black woman, to make it in this world without the help of a man. And so, like I said, she had to learn in her lifetime and her mother had to learn in her lifetime. And it just goes back years and years and years that I need a man to survive. I need a man to make my life easier. And like I said, she still believes in that idea because she was my grandmother was happily married since she was, I think, like 26 until my grandfather passed away. And so she had a happy marriage and she found the man for her. And that man took care of her. Like I said, my grandma never drove. She hates driving. She's never, she's scared of driving. So my grandma, my grandpa literally took her everywhere she needed to go. And so all she knows is a man to help take care of her. Like, yes, she's an independent woman. Yes, she had her own job. She took care of all three of her kids. She, you know what I'm saying? She still did what she needed to do as a woman, but she also had a partner in this life, which was a man. And she wants the same thing for me. And it's not like she wants me to just be sitting at home all day, taking care of the children. But she feels like if I get a man or a male partner, that my life will be easier. And like in some parts, yes, that makes sense because having a partner in life is always a great thing, but I don't need it. And she keeps like driving into me, you need to get a man, you need to get this, you need to get that. And I'm like, I don't need a man. I I will want a man. I don't want one now, but eventually I want a man. And I'm like, I don't need that to survive it at this point. It's 2021. I can have my own bank account. I can go vote. I can drive myself. I can fly on an airplane by myself. I don't need no man to help me have no children. Like, I can go adopt. I can go get a surrogate. I can get pregnant by myself. I don't, like, it's so many things I can do without a man. And, like, in her lifetime, she needed that. And it's like, you're trying to teach me this lesson that no longer has relevancy. I don't need one. For anything I want to do in my life, I don't need one. And for her, she's, like, giving me this survival kit the survival tool, the survival guide. And it's like, no, bro, like, I don't, I don't need that right now. I don't want that right now. And so I had to tell her straight up, like, I don't need one. I just told her, I don't need one, Granny. I don't. And she was like, well, and I was like, what you want me to say? Like, I don't, I said what I said. I don't need one. I'm sorry. Like, I don't want you. I don't want to be disrespectful. I don't want to like, you know what I'm saying? Going against what you're saying. But in 2021, at 22 years old, I literally feel no, I have no idea why I would need a man, if I'm being honest. I want one. There's nothing wrong with wanting a man, wanting a companion, wanting a partner in this life. It's literally nothing wrong with that. And I love people who can actually experience that in their life. But in 2021, women do not need men anymore. And I had to explain that to her. And it's like something that we don't agree on. But I said what I said. Like comment on that real quick, Morgan. We are relational people. And that is one thing that I learned in church that I actually took with me because they be saying some crazy stuff in church. Not gonna lie. But 
I've actually took with me that we are relational people and that we desire to be in relationships and that that is okay, platonic and intimate. And that is okay. But as far as need-based, like you said, need-based in this lifestyle, we really don't need a man for nothing. And a lot of men are realizing this. And you see a lot of Black women being the most educated this. The, you know, they coming up in this, they coming up in tech, Black women are doing this, Black women are doing that, Black women are off the walls now. And so many Black men, um, I see on Twitter, some of them, look, I'm just being honest, I see a lot of bitter Black men on Twitter who are just like, oh, well, well, who gonna, who gonna be at home cooking? Who gonna do this? Who gonna do that? And it's just like, oh, who said I wanted to get married? Who said I want to have kids? Maybe I just want to be successful. You know, so like there's also a rise in Black women just wanting to be a woman, just wanting to do. And like, that is okay too. Some people want to be mothers. Some people want to be uh, workers. Some people want to do both. But like, it's a rise in Black men, Black women just wanting to be. And I think that is very important. And we didn't get a chance to just be in, before. Our ancestors just didn't get a chance to just be. Think about it. Okay. Any, did anybody else have anything to say before we move on? Um, so for me, and I find this interesting, for me, it was the, it was the complete opposite. Um, my grandmother, my father's mother, from a young age, I just remember her like, I think the first time I heard her, I think the first time she told me this, I had to be like five or six. She always taught me that, oh, you don't need a man, can't trust them, men ain't nothing, ain't worth nothing, don't depend. So I was always taught like, and I feel like that's where, I know that's where my hyper independency stemmed from because from a young age, it was just drilled into my mind don't depend on anybody. Don't depend on a man. You can't depend on anybody. If you, you know, if you want it done, you got to get it done yourself. Um, you know, you can't depend on anybody else to take care of you. Like you're solely in this world, you are responsible for you. So, um, and that did kind of, you know, it does, it plays a role now because now like my perception of men, I just, I find myself being really bitter towards men just because of you know the way that I was taught and then like the male relationships and the male you know figures that I had in my life so I just find it interesting how it's a difference like you all were you know taught or and you, know, you guys' family you guys were taught that you know you need a man or you know you need a man to do this for you or do that for you and with me it was the complete opposite so I do find that interesting Definitely. One thing I will say too is that hyper independence is low key also a form of trauma. Like not in that aspect, not in that aspect that you mentioned, but in general, hyper independence is a form of trauma. Like you know, ain't nobody here for me. Can't nobody do nothing for me. Which half the time is true because hey, people don't be down like they say they is, especially not family sometimes. Sadly, but you know, life goes on. So jumping right into the next question. So what generational trauma have you experienced that has been carried down into your family or into your life that it like still like reflects who you are today? I'm gonna ride this one for a little bit. Um, so two, and I actually, Amanda, when you came to me with this question, I, I, I'm not gonna lie to you, girl. I had to call my mama and be like, you know, <laughs> 
it's a lot of things that have been going on in this family, but what can you, you know, like just ask my, my family, like, you know, cause what we think is trauma, they put it in a whole different perspective. You, you're like, dang, I didn't even know that, which is, is a whole nother thing. Um, what I got from it was one thing was being unsuccessful relationships, not to air the whole family business out, but especially on um, my father's side of the family and even on my mother's side of the family, a lot of the women, a lot of my uncles and aunts have not had a successful relationship. I can't even count to you on my hand without thinking very hard besides one uncle, maybe two, out of both sides of the family who have had a successful relationship that did not end poorly. Um, a lot of the women on my father's side, uh, none of them are married. And so that became sort of a dwelling on me because when you have these women that are like, it, it, it's the same thing, like, oh, you don't need a man, you don't need this, you don't need that. And then you look at the relationships and also of how I was raised personally by my father, you know. Was he a truly, you know, 100% loving father? He had his faults. He loved his kids. But I wasn't shown a role model necessarily on how to be loved or how to accept love from men. So when I'm looking at my family and I'm thinking of, well, who can I look at in terms of, you know, what I should take as a woman, as how I should be loved by a man, how I should be treated by a man? It's hard because. I mean, divorce, all that stuff, it was just so just just bad. And so when I look and now that I'm in a relationship, long term relationship, it's been not going to lie, just very stressful, very hard and and intimidating. It's been intimidating because I fear that my relationship isn't going to last or that I'm unsuccessful. So I, I find myself closing and being like, I'm mm, always, you know, I'm a little too scared for the next step because when I think of long-term, I don't see that in my family. I don't see, you know, I see my cousins brought into this world, but they're not being shown role model parents and shown how to love or how they should be treated by other people. So now my cousins are going around having babies with whoever, or just accepting love that isn't really love and is just toxic. And it's just gonna repeat itself because we were never shown what love was. And so that has become so traumatic in my life because I'm so scared of relationships. I mean, to be quite honest, I'm just scared of relationships because to me, I haven't been shown the whole, you know, trial and tribulations. I didn't have a relationship in high school. I kept my black ass to myself. Um, in college, I only had one relationship. And it's just like, it's just tarnishing to see the people around you not not being in such in, in these successful marriages or successful relationships. So who do I go to when it comes down to, oh, I'm being treated like this? You don't really have anybody because they can sit here and tell you, oh, girl, you need to leave that man. He don't do nothing for you. He Or girl, you just have a lot of feedback. But it's like, how are we being hypocritical when you over here 
ain't got nobody by yourself. Y'all was in a domestic dispute. Y'all was doing this and that, but you're telling me how to live my life and I'm not being shown. So I have to learn and unlearn so many things that I have seen. And it's scary. It's intimidating. It's rough. And then another thing was in my family, we have a lot of lies and secrets because we were grown up to keep everything on the hush. So there is a lot of things that have happened in the background, a lot of things that have happened from childhood that have got brought, well, was brought up at a very inappropriate time. And it's like, I didn't know that happened. Like, and, and you know, and my grandmother, you know, God bless her, but she keeps a lot of these secrets. And it's like, if we don't know these things, how are we going to be able to pass this on to the next generation or like, you know, and it's traumatic things. It's things that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to disclose, but it's just like, why, why are we holding these secrets? Because we were taught at a young age, if something happens to you or if something occurs in the household, you're not going to talk about it and you're going to keep it to yourself. And then you're going to keep repeating these behaviors. And then you look at your kids and you're like, well, why are my kids acting like this? Or why are they looking like this? Or why are they doing this? Because a lot of my, my grandmother has done that with some of my cousins. Why y'all act like that? Do you not see what type of household they were brought into where everything was kept a secret and everything was, there's a lot of lies and sugarcoating that was going on. And it's just not helping build healthy relationships in your life. It's not. And so all of this trauma kind of goes hand in hand because now I'm sitting here, a 23-year-old, and I'm just like, Lord, I mean, it's like every day I find something new about my family that I've never known before. <laughs> and it's just like, also just with the relationships, just not having the role model. I know a lot of people say, you know, you're supposed to have the role model that you're supposed to be you, supposed to be yourself. But when you have family members who aren't being role models, but yet want to dictate what you do with your life and want to have input on things that are going on with you, it's just very contradicting. And we're starting to see that now as in like, well, what y'all did was just so wrong. Like <laughs> everything that you're doing, everything that you did was so wrong. And now we're paying for it. And now we're trying to reverse it. Now we're trying to find the source of to why these lies and secrets, why are these relationships failing? What is going on? Because it, it's just, it's turning back over. I'm seeing it in my cousins. I'm seeing all these things happen. And it's just, it's sad because then they're bringing kids, they're bringing kids in these, this world that have parents that aren't together or have, we're told to keep hush hush about something that was just not something that you really want to tell people to be quiet about. Cause to be honest, you have to be a self advocate for yourself and your children. You have to. So those are the traumatic things that have happened in my life that I'm now trying to unfold from. Okay. Before we go on, Jessica, you spoke on a lot. I just want to touch two things. First thing, role models. Yes. And you know what? You can be your own advocate. There is nothing wrong with looking up to somebody. There is nothing wrong with that. We need to. And that's why, you know, people get mad that you got these kids looking up to little baby, looking up. So, you know, these rappers, you can't be mad at that. You want to know why? Because they ain't got nobody to look up to in a household. You, you really cannot be mad at that. And people be like, well, my son looking up to this rapper. Da, da, da. Okay. Well, what positive influence are you in his life? 
Same with mothers, looking up to Ari, looking up to Jada. Okay, what positive influence are you in her life? Like, for real, like, you really have to be honest with yourself in these conversations. Like, yes, role models should start in the household. Yes, do they always? No. And that's okay, but role models should start in the household, in the community, in something. It shouldn't just go straight to fame. And that's the problem nowadays because these kids are looking up to unhealthy behaviors. But that's another story for another time. Second thing that you spoke on was with these kids, um, how these kids are learning things too. And I speak on kids so much is because like, I'm not gonna say I didn't really have a childhood, but my childhood was very, my childhood wasn't a childhood. So that's why when kids come into play, like I get really invested, really emotional because I know what it was like. But people are honestly just starting to look at kids as people. We're just starting to do that because people are, I'm on TikTok, I follow a couple of TikTok families. And this one TikTok family, this guy, He's a bald black man. He's very funny with his son and his other kids. And um, he allows his his kids to say vagina, to say penis. And like, think about it. A lot of my mama's people, a lot of people back in the day, they kitty cat. I don't know. They use words that, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't real. And it's just like, why can't a child say penis why can't a child say vagina and like that that's a trauma thing right there because if you really think about it a lot of rapes a lot of molestation cases a lot of things went unsolved because a child couldn't enunciate what actually happened hello if we're if we're keeping it a g and that is a form of generational trauma itself but <laughs> before I get to preaching, Jessica, I just wanted to speak on that, babe, because you went in. But whoever wants to go can go ahead. Um, literally, what both of you all said, like, it's crazy that we have so much in common, Jessica. But um, literally, like, role models, I didn't have. My my parents are divorced, and they just recently got divorced, like, two years ago. But they was in an unhappy marriage for 30 years. Like, I've never, I, I literally do not know what love is. and. I think that also because they didn't know what love was and their parents didn't know what love was. And so it doesn't just start with my parents. It started with their parents and their parents. And it's a lot of reasons and a lot of factors that go into why my, you know what I'm saying, my ancestors didn't understand love and didn't know how to show love. But the, like, it's, it doesn't start there. And I'm trying to unlearn that. So my children and my nieces and my nephews don't have to, they can see a healthy form of love. They can see what it means to be a partner in this life and not gender roles that we've been taught, you know what I'm saying, growing up, but just in general, what it means to have somebody next to you who's your partner, your soulmate, and it's helping you through life. But specifically for me, um, I mean, I have a lot of generational trauma that I, I deal with on a regular basis. Um, but one that I really want to touch on is tough love or lack of vulnerability. Um, my mom, I wouldn't say she's so hard on me, but I think in my family, the it's for one, it's not that many women in my family. Like I'm my grandmother's only granddaughter. My mom is my is my grandmother's only daughter. Like it's basically only three of us, and the rest are boys. And so it's kind of been like you need it. You need to have your life together. And I talked about this earlier with y'all to uh, Amanda and Jessica, but like, 
they we don't get, as a black woman in my family I don't get the same grace as the men in my family and I just recently found out why because I've always felt that way like growing up like my grandmother I wouldn't say she mistreated me but like there was a, a little bit more for the for the grandsons it was a little bit more for my cousins it was a little bit more attention a little bit more you know what I'm saying understanding a little bit more support and like, not that my grandmother does, doesn't support me, but I always felt like there was a little bit more that I didn't get as the girl. And I and I finally kind of understood the reasoning why. And it's because um, my grandmother, when she was growing up, she lived on a sharecropping field and she had so many brothers. It was like 13 of her and it was only like three girls and the rest were boys. And she was also the baby of the family. And so when she was growing up, she was allowed to go to school and her brothers had to stay at home and share crop. And so she's all she knows, like she feels so, it's kind of like survivor's guilt. She feels so guilty for getting that education, for getting that privilege, for getting out of Mississippi and finding a man and moving to Indianapolis and like living a good life for her children. And she kind of feels like so bad for her brothers because her brothers have to stay in Mississippi and go through the tough life of farming. You know what I'm saying? I'm going through everything. And so I just found out that that was the reason why my, me and my mom spoke on it. And she was like, that's why your grandma always is with the boys. It's something different about the boys. It's because she has survivor's guilt. She feels so bad that as the woman, she she had the chance to do certain things. She was allowed to go to school, even though she didn't finish high school. She had enough to where she could write her sentences. She could, she understood basic understandings of like elementary, middle school type of stuff. And so when she got into Indianapolis, she was better off. Before her brothers who didn't get any education at all and all they know is farming and sharecropping and raising horses and doing stuff like that, they didn't get that privilege. And so for her sons, for her her brothers for her grandsons it's always like she wants them to be more and she sometimes forget about the women and it's like I had to understand that that was the reason why and so she's passed that down and so my my she treated my mom like that and my mom had to be always together my mom always had to have it always together but my brother can make mistakes or her brothers can make mistakes and she still had to figure it out like she didn't get that same type of support. It wasn't a loving environment and, and she didn't know how to emotionally communicate and express her feelings because my grandma was always like, suck it up. And so my, my mom passed that on to me, like literally like in high school, I had a nervous breakdown and my, my mama told me, suck it up. And I still think about that to this day because I was like, dang girl, like I'm over here going through it. I'm crying. I mean, it's high school. So it's like in the grand scheme of things, you may not think it's a lot. Before a 15, 16 year old, and I'm having a nervous breakdown about school, classes, sports, extra, extracurriculars, she just kind of was like, Morgan, the world goes on. And like, yeah, that could be a good learning experience, but it's like, I just wanted you to just support me. And it's just like, I feel like for the women in my family, it's not that same type of understanding. And it's it's just, I, I, I had to learn in, at 18 how to be vulnerable. Like now y'all know me now I cry in a heartbeat. I don't care. Like I'm emotional. Like I don't care who's in front of me, who's that. But like growing up in my household, when I was upset about something, I would really go into my closet and cry and hide. And when my mama came and found me, I had to fake like I wasn't crying because I didn't want to disappoint her. I didn't want her to see me as less than, and even though my mama would never see me as less than, I didn't want to be the disappointment in the family. But I feel like 
my brothers can make so many mistakes. And not to say like mistakes don't happen and that they're failures in life, but like they can make so many mistakes. And my mama and my grandmother will be right there. You know what I'm saying? Like they'll, you know what I'm saying? Like it don't matter. Like they have some, they have more vulnerability and emotional availability than I feel like I had because I was a girl in the family and I had to always have my stuff together. And I feel like my grandmother's survival guilt is also happening to my mom. It's happening to my to me because we're the only ones who are educated in my family. My mama's the only one who graduated college. I'm the only one who graduated college out of my siblings. So it's like, I don't want to, when I bring in children into the world, put that same type of perfectionist ideology on my my daughter and not and, and not and coddle my my sons and not do that to my daughter. Like I don't know, it's just so much that like goes into like my family dynamic that I have to unlearn. And I'm still unlearning to this day because my family, like I said, is still the same. Like my grandmother still has that soft spot for her for the grandsons and for the sons. But I think now it's kind of like I understand the reasoning why. And so it's no longer anger. At first it was anger because I didn't understand why I wasn't getting the same type of support and appreciation. But now it's like, now that I'm 22 and I, and I finally understood why she does what she does. It's kind of like you give her grace, you have empathy for people. And so I just kind of have to like understand that and like move on from it and not let it hold me back and make me emotionally unavailable or not be able to be vulnerable around the people who mean so much more to me. And I finally had to learn that in college. And so now I don't care, I'll cry. I'll say how I feel. I'll express my gratitude, my disdain. It doesn't matter. I'm gonna do what I need to do because I didn't get that for the first 18 years of my life. But yeah. Um, I definitely agree with all of you, especially with the um, the unsuccessful relationships. Um, I dealt with that a lot. Like I see that a lot with both sides of my family, like my, um, my mom's parents, they were married for like 50 something years, but throughout that entire marriage, um, it was a lot of turmoil. It was a lot of unhappiness. Um, there was forms of abuse, um, infidelity, all that. So, and on my father's side as well, um, you know, I just saw, I saw all these, you know, I saw marriages within my family, but they were always unsuccessful. They were always, um, unfulfilling. Um, and just, you know, it, it does have an effect on you going throughout life and looking through your lineage and, you know, just never really seeing that around you, never seeing positive role models, um, within relationships around you. And it definitely does affect you, especially when you, get to a certain point in your life, a certain age where, you know, you start indulging in relationships as well. Um, Another trauma that I experienced, um, generational trauma that I experienced um, or that was carried down within my family would definitely be emotional abuse, um, especially with the women on both sides of my family. due to the emotional abuse that they experienced from their husbands, their fathers, um, sometimes even brothers or uncles, um, it definitely made them like bitter, um, miserable, um, and just like shut them off and made them cold. And now that I'm older, I realize that I internalize a lot of that. Um, and 
to a certain extent, it's made me that way as well. Um, growing up around certain family members, like my mom's mother, um, and sometimes even my mom as well, showing emotions wasn't always, um, it wasn't always the right way to go. Um, I'm a very sensitive person. I've always been a really sensitive person. So I feel like, especially growing up and within my childhood, um, I wasn't allowed that. I wasn't allowed the the luxury of the opportunity to express my emotions, to be sensitive, to um, just really feel what I felt in that moment. One thing my family members would always say to me, oh, you're so sensitive. Um, you'll cry if somebody said boo to you or, um, you know, you're always crying. You're always, you're always so this, you're always so that. So that made me, in hindsight, it hardened me and it made me closed off and it made me not want to express my emotions because I felt like, especially when I got older, I felt like every time that I did, I was penalized for it. I was judged for it. So, you know, it closes you off. Emotional trauma, it definitely closes you off and it makes you want to shut down and it makes you want to internalize everything that you go through and never want to be open and, you know, express your feelings, and your emotions with anybody. And it took me, a long time to be able to open up to people that I was comfortable with. And it's still a challenge for me to open up and to be completely transparent because of that. So, yeah. I completely agree with all y'all. Thank you so much for sharing that. I would say for me, um, one thing that my mom does, she's always does is yield at me. I hate when people yell at me. I hate when people talk to me any type of way. And because of that, I used to try to, you know, fight back. She never allowed me to say anything. So now, like, I stay to myself a lot. And, like, I stay to myself a lot. Me and my mom are in the same house, but we'll probably say, like, five sentences to each other every day. And it's because of my childhood, her always yelling. You know what I'm saying? And I'm, I would never say yelling is justified. I'm sorry. I just want It's not like I was out here killing folks. I never say yelling is justified. Um, especially for me, like I didn't do anything as a child. I went to school, came back home, ate, played my game, went to sleep, did my homework. You know, so like that's one thing that was carried down that greatly affected who I am today because I bottled a lot of my emotions up. And like y'all said, I felt like because of that, I had to harden myself. Like, not only do I bottle my emotions up, but like, I'm a hard person and it takes a lot to break me. Another thing I would say is perfectionism. That That's probably like the biggest thing. I've always been a perfectionist. Even in grammar school, I remember, uh, Mateo, Miss Walton, <laughs> it was this one time I was up doing something for Miss Walton and she was like, you don't have to be perfect. Like, it's okay. And like, I was just like, no, I have to be. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I have to be perfect. And it took me a long time to understand that, like, honestly, not that long, because when I went to high school and I realized um, I had to be in competition with all the white folks and I couldn't do it. You know what I'm saying? Because I wasn't on the same playing field as them. And it knocked me down. And it knocked me down a lot. Um, 
perfectionism has always been a big thing because my granny she called me right before we got on the call it was just like hey you know still talking about law school <laughs> and you know like I'm not even in that headspace anymore and yeah it, it it hurts like having to perfectionism comes with having to let people down a lot because my my family built me up so high that I feel like if I go low you know what I'm saying I'm a they're going to feel some type of way. And I feel bad for feeling that way, but I, it's nothing I could do about it. But I learned that you can never be perfect. And even in, um, when me and Morgan spoke in our last episode, well, not you, Morgan, my other friend Morgan, when we spoke in my last episode, how you can never love yourself 100%. You can never do anything in your life 100%. And we do have to give ourselves more grace on that. But thank y'all so much. Our next question so, what is or slash was your escape out of these traumatic events? Was it healthy? I'm going to go ahead and go first because I didn't have to think hard about this because this is something that I've been doing since I was young. I found this word, maladaptive daydreaming. I found it a long time ago, about a couple months ago, maybe like a year ago. And I said, hmm, what is that? So I did my research, you know, I watched my little YouTube videos and it is a person regularly experiencing experiences daydreams that are intense and highly distracting. So distracting, in fact, that the person may stop engaging with the tasks or people in front of them. Um, an MD, okay, generally a coping mechanism in response to trauma, abuse, or loneliness. Um, that leads to maladaptive daydreaming, day that leads the maladaptive daydreamer, excuse me, to conjure a complex imaginary world for them to escape in times of distress, loneliness, or maybe even helplessness in real life. My nigga. When I tell you I've did this so much and I continue to, I'm probably doing it right now, like unconsciously while we're talking. I did this so much when I was little, it was scary. But nobody, everybody always told me, shut up you know, be cool. Like y'all said, children are to be seen and not heard. I was seen and not heard, but because I was in my head, I was in my head all the time. And I still am. I don't know how to get out now because I did this so much to cope when I was little, because I was going through so much. And even when I had my whole DCF situation, I kept telling my mom, like, mom, I want to go to therapy. I want to go to therapy. I want to go to therapy. I don't want to talk to my dad anymore after he did this to me. And never went to therapy. I had to start talking to my dad again. Listen to these kids, man, because people did not listen to me. People still don't listen to me for real. And that's how I am the way I am. And I honestly feel like, I won't, I won't say maladaptive daydreaming is like an illness or anything. Like uh, apparently like when I did my research, it can be stopped, but it's, it's, it's a little difficult. But um, I did this to get away. I did this to escape because like there was so much verbal abuse going on around me there was so much sometimes physical abuse going on around me and I did not know how to cope with that and a lot of times when this was happening I was alone my sister was in college and my brother was god knows where and it was just me and you know god willing here I am today but it played such an effect on me there are sometimes when I'm alone or I'll hear people talking downstairs and they get louder. They start yelling and I freeze. I freeze up so quick because I know like some, some shit's going to go down. Like I'll, I, I literally freeze up because like when I was young, 
you know what I'm saying? Like, and just thinking about it now, like, damn, like that really had an effect on you. Um, but this is something that I have been doing since I was young and I can go on and on and on and on and talk about this. What I will say is I am a daydreamer. I am a night dreamer. I'm an evening dreamer. I just stay in my head so much because that is my only getaway. That's my only sense of freedom. And sometimes like <laughs> people were so mad how, um, not Jeff Bezos, that other nigga, Elon Musk. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> Elon Musk, he's coming out with uh, the meta, the meta things. But it's an, it's an Oculus, and I've talked to y'all about this, but all y'all. And I was like, oh, I want my Oculus. Things like that excites me so much because I get to get away from all this because this this is depressing. All of this is depressing to me. I'm just like, wow. Um, I'm, I, I'm, one, one thing I will say, I've tried therapy out. I don't know if I'm just not in that correct headspace right now. I don't know what it is. I'll eventually go back. But for right now, this is my only escape. So I will let y'all go ahead. Thanks for listening. <laughs> um, I'm so glad that you came up with a word for what I've been thinking this whole time. Because I literally have always thought to myself, and whenever I'm having this daydream, and it, it's every day, all day. There's not a time where I'm really thinking like that I'm consciously doing it. It just happens, but it's always in reference to my childhood. Cause I feel so much nostalgia from my childhood that I literally place myself back in those times because that is my escape from what is going on. If anything is distressing me, I literally think of a good, a good time in my childhood or a good, you know, it's always my childhood every time. Um, so I would say being in my head a lot helps me um, because otherwise I will break down. Um, reading has gotten me a lot of places, a lot of places. And I, I became so obsessed as a child, especially the ER books. I don't know what, you know, Illinois did, but we, we, in the end, we had them ER books. I was sitting there infatuated with just being almost putting myself in into the book. I would literally create just the imaging, picturing everything in my head, what the house looks like. They don't even have to explain what it is, but I'm literally putting myself in another reality because my reality right now is so stressful and I need to get away. I loved putting myself in a different world. And that was a great coping mechanism for me. Now I've been going to therapy for a month and it's, it is tough because you're like, where do I start? Um, and it's kind of just a lot of unfolding that's going on and it becomes very emotional and very like, oh like, you know, you're starting to look at things in a, a bigger, broader perspective. But I think all three of those things along with journaling have helped me kind of just get out of, um, my reality, but the therapy helped, helps me, um, like attack those head on. Cause I know a lot of times when I'm putting myself in a different reality or putting myself out of the situation, I am not addressing the issue. And, um, I've, I've been figuring out ways, uh, you know, asking advice of like, how do I address these issues that are going on in my life? Because again, you have to be an advocate for yourself. And you have to speak up and you have to start a healing process somewhere. You can't just be in your head or, you know, in the books all the time. 
Um, Cause I just feel like at one point it will become contingent, but um, those are the things that have helped me so far. And I am so grateful for it. Um, therapy took me a big step, big step to do. It's not for everybody. It really isn't. You really have to be emotionally prepared to do it. Cause if you're not, it's, not going to be very eventful. I was put in therapy as a child because my mom came upon a journal of mine and it has some dark thoughts and I was put in therapy and I did not connect at all. And that only traumatized me more to not advocate for myself and not seek the help that I really needed growing up. Um, um, I would say when it comes to an escape, I think I have unconscious me- coping mechanisms and then I actually have escapes. So my unconscious coping mechanisms are I sleep, I seclude myself, um, or I just don't think about it. Like I just, my mind just, I say, I refuse. I will be in my head like Morgan, we ain't got time to be thinking about this right now. Like you don't even have the mental capacity, the energy to whatever. So those are my three coping mechanisms when it comes to my escapes. Um, I think when I was young, I was younger, it was reading mainly because I didn't have the money to like have a phone or a gaming system or stuff like that. But now that I'm older and I can afford certain things like, like Amanda, I'm a gamer. Woo. Um, I usually just play, play my game. Um, I dance or uh, I had a third one, but I can't remember now. But yeah, those are basically kind of my two like, or no, my third one was laughter. I have to laugh. If I'm like really like down in the dumps, I have to find something to make me laugh. Like literally when I was younger to cheer myself up or to get out of my reality, I would literally search in Google funny videos just so I could laugh. Like I love to laugh. Anybody who knows me knows I love to laugh. And that's really has become like my saving grace. Like when I'm going through stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a joke. I'm a, I'm a crack up. I'm a laugh. I'm going to do whatever. But yeah, those are my three dancing, um, laughing or um, playing my video game. And then my coping mechanisms are sleeping and um, just not thinking about it. But yeah. Um, my coping mechanisms was, uh, well, is um, avoidance. Uh, as long as I don't have to think about it, it's not there, which is, <laughs> it's not, it's not a good, it's not a good way to think, but. Okay. Um, and um, also, like you said, I would seclude myself as well. Um, and I find myself doing that with anything that I go through. Um, I immediately go into hermit mode. And I think that stems back from my childhood, like when I would get in trouble, you know, you get in trouble by your parents or go to your room, you're sent to like, you know, you have to sit alone and, you know, just really think about stuff and be with your thoughts so definitely um secluding myself was one of those coping mechanisms and as far as escapes um drawing drawing it just makes me feel so much at peace and I feel like because I can drawing just allows me to be as creative as I want I get to create whatever I want and um just all the things that I um internalized and I think about I'm able to illustrate it and visually see it so for that reason I love drawing um ever since I was a kid it just immediately puts me at peace um also music listening to music singing 
is a huge escape for me. Like no matter what, I, every day I have to listen to some music. Like if, if even if it's a song, I have to, or I'll go crazy. Like, um, and all types of genres. Um, it just makes me feel better. And, um, it is an escape because you don't have to think about what you're currently going through. You can get lost in the beat. You can get lost in the lyrics, the harmonies. So yeah, music and drawing are definitely two of my biggest escapes. I would just follow up with the music thing. I forgot about music. It's so funny because before I got on here and uh, Jessica and Morgan had texted me. I was literally like in the kitchen listening to music, like trying to get in the right headspace for this, making myself some tea. And, you know, because this is a really heavy topic um, and just doing that. But also, I just wanted to clear up something with the maladaptive daydreaming that I was talking about. Is it healthy? Probably not. Um, because, yeah, I, I just don't think it's a healthy thing to do. I think I need to be more present. But it's so hard to be more present when you're present. It's just like ass. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, but like, because I, I think of things that aren't even, I'm not going to say necessarily possible because anything is possible. Anything is possible. But I think of things that are just like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're not even that girl, but you're not that girl though. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to clear that up. <laughs> Um, thank you all so much for sharing. We're getting to our last two questions. I know that this is a long girl right here, but we are breaking some molds today. So the next question is, how will slash are you breaking down walls and forming a new mold so that you will not carry on generational traumas into your lineage? Um, one thing that I will make sure when I bring, again, with the children, um, when I bring an individual into this world, um, I will make sure that I have started healing or have healed from past things and make sure my communication is open and making sure that I'm teaching my child or children to speak up, to let people know like, Hey, you know, this is a problem. This is what I'm going through. Um, and that it's okay to communicate because that's a lost privilege right there. <laughs> um, cause not a lot of people are able to, you know, open up and, and communicate with, you know, one another and everything like that. And, um, so it, once I start healing myself, start healing my lineage and start doing some digging as to why things are the way they are, then I'm going to be able to carry that onto the next generation, um, in hopes just to not have these repeat cycles anymore. Um, same, <clears throat> sorry. Um, same as Jessica, um, basically constantly being conscious of the decisions I make and why I'm making them. Um, I think a lot of times, like we said before, trauma impacts your life in the exponential scale. Like we can't sit down all day and, and you know what I'm saying? Like really say, okay, this is the reason why I did this. But in general, when, when life gets hard or I'm making decisions that may not necessarily be healthy for me. I have to actually be consciously aware, aware of why I'm doing that. And if I can understand why I make the decisions I make and why I act the way I act, I act, I talk the way I talk and I, you know what I'm saying? Communicate the way I communicate. I think I'll be a better, I'll be able to, I'll be able to, to, to reverse it kind of like, it won't be such a, like a mystery 
it won't be such a like unconscious thing. Like if I'm literally every day, like, why did I do that? Why, why can't I, why can't I let a man love me? Why can't, why can't I communicate with my, possibly my husband at the time? Or why can't I communicate in this way? Or what's, you know what I'm saying? Like, why, why, why? I think is a big question for me. And once I understand why I can stay, I can understand how not to pass that on to my nieces, my nephews, my eventually my future children. Like, I just have to understand the why in my life and why I am the way I am. And so then I could, I can acknowledge it and make the decisions not to to pass that along i feel like me embarking on my spiritual journey um is definitely a way of me breaking down walls and barriers um, when it comes to generational trauma just because while i've been on this journey it's allowed me to really just dig deep within myself um within my family, you know, my loved ones, those around me. Um, it's allowed me and caused me to do shadow work. Um, really just pay attention and just put a spotlight on my childhood and just like my past. And also connecting with um, connecting with God more and my ancestors and spirit guides. Um, and guardian angels has helped me um, along my way a lot as well. Uh, the journey of healing and just this your spiritual journey in general, it is tough and it is challenging and um, it causes you to be, it makes you become or really just have to be 100% truthful with yourself and really just look at yourself and and just everyone around you with unbiased eyes. And it really does take the um, the rose-tinted glasses off of you. And it just, you just have so many realizations and you just come to so many epiphanies. And um, it's a challenge and it is tough, but to me, it is so worth it because I'm doing the work that is going to help generations to come. I'm doing, you know, I'm, taking on all of the challenges and all of the hardships so you all don't have to so yeah Taya you could not put that better okay you could not put that better I love the way you said that um because I was thinking like oh like what am I doing what am I doing because what am I doing um definitely spirituality if there is anything I am so glad my spiritual teacher is no longer here on this plane. However, I am so glad that he was here to show me something before he left and to guide me somewhere before he left, along with my best friends in this journey. But ever since I took a step out of myself and, you know, learned myself spiritually, learned my higher self, learned of my ancestors, um, spirit gods and so on, and did some of my shadow work, I got to do more, yes. <laughs> but ever since I've been doing that, like I've never felt so much more connected to the universe, so much more connected to God. And me having that connection now allows me to be able to realize that anything I want in this lifetime is possible. Any, my, like if I want to be a tree in this lifetime, guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna be a tree. No, but but really, like, 
because I know that I am boundless, I am endless, and that anything is possible in this lifetime, that helps me cope more with my generational traumas. Because I feel like trauma limits you. And trauma being like your generational traumas, meaning like family, sometimes, sometimes old friends, they limit you so much. And like getting into my spiritual journey and um, going back to the question, how am I breaking down walls? I'm breaking down the walls that were put up by, um, how do I say this? I want to say they were put up by colonizers. That's what I'll say. Walls that were put put up by colonizers that my ancestors had to follow, but now that I'm knocking them back down because we're no longer there. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to go back to my old practices. I'm going back to, you know, old things that worked, that are still working and that will forever work. But I tell you, because you, you hit the head off of it because you know, you know things. And yes, totally agree. I've never felt so much more connected than I do now. And I've never felt so much more, so many more good things happening to me now that I am embarking on this journey with my higher self, with God, with my ancestors. Whew. With that said, that is a totally different episode and we'll get there. But with that said, one thing that I'm doing now, I'm having tough conversations. And we already said communication can be a form of trauma. And it's hard because a lot of people don't hear me out for real. But I'm still going to talk about it. I'm still going to talk to you about it. Like, I'm still going to, hey, granny, what you do? It's not right, girl. You know, I'm, I'm learning more. I'm becoming more of a listener, too. And I've, I've told somebody this, like I was always a big talker outside of my household because I couldn't talk inside my household. So outside of my t- household, I talked so much. I just ran my mouth. And it was so hard for me to sit down and actually listen to people. And I learned that in college. I learned to listen because people, when you sit down and listen to people, you realize they have so many good things to say. For example, Morgan, me and Morgan, we would have conversations and I would just be sitting there. Just, I'll be quiet, quiet as hell, just listening. And she'd be like, you still there? And I'm just like, yes, I'm still here, but I'm listening to you. Sometimes we just need somebody to listen because we always don't have people to listen. And I'm learning that. Um, I'm looking at self-destructive habits that I have, i.e. not looking in the mirror. I do not look in the mirror. I do. I don't look in the mirror because of so much ridicule that I've had about my body, about my skin tone when I was little that has carried over and I'm still going through the motions right now as I'm older. So I'm, I'm learning how to love my blackness. And that is, that's a process. You'll never, like I said, you'll never be hundred percent in everything. Nobody will ever be perfect, period. But I'm learning to love my blackness. I'm learning to love the skin I'm in. I'm learning to love the body I'm in. And guess what? If I don't like certain aspects about myself, I can fix it. There are a lot of things you can fix. There are some things you can't. I might have a big ass for the rest of my life. I don't like big butts. You know what I'm saying? Like little things like that. But, um, so those are the walls that I'm breaking down. So for our final question, ladies, I am so glad we made it here to the end. Like I said, this is a long girl, but we made it. Very proud of all the girls. And last question. What is your advice to someone attempting to overcome generational traumas? And I will go first. You know what? Yes, I'll go first. When I wrote this question, I was just like, girl, I don't know. 
I'm still overcoming mine. But one thing I also had to notice in the process of overcoming yours, you can speak to somebody about it. You don't have to be fully over something before you tell somebody your experience about something. So my process or my advice would be to start. I feel like there is so much emotion around starting something, starting a new business, uh, starting homework even, starting to get your applications ready to go job hunting. There was so much emotion behind me. I don't know, even getting my driver's license. Start. You know, there is so much power in just picking it, picking something up and doing something. There was so much emotion around me starting my podcast even. I'm just like, okay, who's even going to listen to me? You know what I'm saying? There's so much emotion about me going back to school. I put off my application for the longest. It's finally turned in, whatever. But start. Definitely start. You have to have, one thing I will say, work on your inner self first before you go outer. Because you want to have some of you together before you even go to your mom and be like, you hurt me because of this. Have everything. So go inner and then work your way out. That's That, that would be my advice. But y'all can go ahead. Um, my advice, same thing. I literally wrote down, um, take the initiative to do the work because when you don't do the work, you're not going to see any type of progress. Um, and it can be, like you said, very emotionally, um, hard and just mentally hard and physically hard to just take the initiative to do these things because it's like just the unknown of what's, what can come out of these things when you do this. But, um, and to not even just dig into it, but also look at your lineage. Like uh, it's a lot and look spiritually, like within yourself, you got to find, you know, what, what is it that you hone to because that will also just be another starting point for you because when you got to find the root in order to do the work, you got to find the root. And when you do the shadow work, when you do the ancestral healing, when you do these things and take on this stuff, it is a huge responsibility. And with that, you just have to start. You have to look somewhere, find resources, reach out to people. There's people, there's so many people that have been in our shoes, but we literally just don't talk about it. But when you share your experiences with others, you're going to be able to kind of piece together okay, I got to do this, 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 and then this, instead of just looking at it like, oh my God, this is such a big, like, where do I even start? Because then that's where procrastination comes in. And that's where healing does not begin at all. So um, that would be my advice to others. Um, My advice would be, um, is to know that, well, just know that you don't have to succumb to your circumstances. You do not have to be an, um, a product of your environment. Um, and just know that you have the power within yourself to uh, create, create your reality. So whatever that looks like to you, whatever you want that to be, just know that you have the power within yourself to create it. And, um, doing the work also, um acknowledging those traumas is half the battle so once you've once you've gotten that out the way now it's time to do the work and um my biggest my biggest piece of advice definitely would be is to be gentle and kind with yourself because 
while trying to overcome generational dramas and I mean generational traumas and breaking down those um those walls and those barriers that's a lot it's a lot that you're unpacking you're unlearning a lot so be gentle with yourself be kind with yourself be patient because it's not a one two three quick process it takes time it takes energy it takes determination and dedication so and just know that as long as you're putting your best foot forward and you're putting in the work and you're showing up for yourself you will be okay um, my advice would be basically a culmination of everything you all said. Um, I have four things I say. The first thing is acknowledgement. Um, basically, like a lot, of, I feel like a lot of people are in, are in denial about their traumas, or they've either normalized it as what was best. And for example, within the black community, um, like we said before, being seen and not heard people consider that discipline. And at some point, yes, you have to teach your children how to behave and how to act and stuff like that. But that can also play a role in their life as to why, like we said before, they're not communicative, they're not this way, that way. And I think generally a lot for the Black community, we feel like the way we were raised was was just this, was... (laughs) which is, this is an amazing thing. And I'm not saying that everybody in the Black community experiences this, but I think a, a very big theme in the Black community is how we were raised and normalizing the trauma that we all endure in childhood and thinking that it's normal and that we're okay. A lot of people don't understand, like, baby, you not being able to speak to people and communicate your, you know what I'm saying, your feelings is actually a bad thing. Like, you being seen and not heard like is not is not all you think it is and people like I said before on Twitter every day saying oh my these children nowadays they don't know how to do this or they don't get whoopings anymore my mama used to beat my ass and stuff like that and it's like baby uh maybe those things are the reason why you are the way you are maybe those those experiences and the way that you were treated as a child has a role in who you are today and how and the skills you possess And a lot of people are in denial about that. So like you all said, acknowledging the fact that you are dealing with trauma and it impacts you is is very critical. Second thing is awareness. Um, Now that everyone experiences trauma, but how is this trauma affecting my daily life? Like, how are the decisions I make a result or a product of what I've experienced in my childhood or what I've not even experienced myself, but what my ancestors have experienced and then instilled these lessons into me. Like how, how does this impact my, my physical relationships, my emotional relationships, my spiritual relationships and like not my daily life, like just so many things, not even relationship wise, but how does those traumas impact who I am as a person today? And understanding that and being aware of that, I think is also critical my next thing is healing. Now that you've under now that you've acknowledged it and you understand how it impacts your life, how are you going to fix it? Like it's it's not enough to just be like, okay, yeah, I'm I, I'm broken. Yeah, I'm you know what I'm saying I I I have some things I need to work on. But like, what are you, and even if it's something small, like speaking up at a at a at a meeting at a, at your job that you usually wouldn't speak up for. Like it's such it's so many small things that we can do on a regular basis that can that can kickstart our healing process. Like I'm no longer going to be this Morgan. 
By, the, by next year, I want to be a different. I want to be able to communicate effectively. I want to be able to listen to people, comprehend what people have to say. Don't take everything so personal. It's so many things that like the small, the small things could, could kickstart your healing. And then your choices. Um, once you begin your healing process, you actually have to make the choice to do the opposite. Like, you know, it's bad. You know, it is affecting you negatively. Now the choices I make on my daily life have to be different. I can't repeat the same path. I can't keep the same mindset and expect different results. I can't keep doing the same thing and expect different results. And so if you say, I don't want to continue this trauma into the next generation, the work starts now, like you all said before, like the work starts now, like I have to bear the brunt of it. And it sometimes for me seem unfair, like, dang, well, I got to be the one to break it. But at the end of the day, like, do you want to break it and just bear the brunt of it? Or do you want your children and your children's children and your children's children's children to experience the same pain, hurt, trauma that you did when you could have, when you, and even if you don't completely heal, you can start it. And you're in the generations after that can continuously make progress. I'm not going to, it's unrealistic to think that I can fix every single trauma I've ever experienced, every curse that's ever been passed down to me. These curses took generations to create. It's not going to stop with one generation. It's not going to stop with me, but I can be the start of the reversal. I can be the start of something new. I don't have, I don't have to go into the next 30, 40 years continuing that I can at least start the acknowledgement process. Like even if you don't get to all the last three steps, but I can at least acknowledge I'm broken and my children may be broken because I'm not, you know what I'm saying? Doing what I need to do, but I, I don't want people who's listening to this to say, okay, I need to fix everything. Everything's on me. That's also very traumatic. Like we're saying, we're saying break these generational traumas, but your traumas have to yourself. I feel like you're solely responsible for so many people after you. No, baby, you're responsible for yourself. And if you want better for yourself, eventually the generations after you will be better. So, yeah. That was amazing. Thank y'all so, 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 so much for speaking on this cop topic, being vulnerable, sharing your stories. It was amazing talk. Um, I hope y'all come back for another talk, maybe even. Um, but thank y'all so much. Thank you all for listening to this very long episode, probably the longest that I'm not even gonna say the longest I've ever had because I I don't know. But this one was really long, but it was really, really detailed. And we told a lot of stories, you know, we not necessarily gave a lot of advice, but like just say how we were coming from and how we dealt with things like this. And I truly, truly do hope that this helps you and just open doors for conversations and things to be had in your own households, in your friend groups, you know, let somebody know about this episode. If it really touched you, you know, to touch somebody else, you know, spread the word, do what you can. As always, my name is Apollo and I do thank you so, so much for supporting me. Um, there will be more episodes to come. I promise no more hiatuses yet for me. Um, I'm going to brainstorm for the next episode. And yeah, I will. Uh, uh, sorry. I will see you all soon. Bye.